and they asked, well, Mom, how did you enjoy your gifts? And Mom told the oldest son, she said, I love the mansion. It's beautiful. But two or three times I got lost, so I just decided to live in the servants' quarters. But thank you for the thought. He, she told her second son, she said, son said, thank you for the cars. So the first time, first time I drove it, I backed into the mailbox, so I've just been taking a taxi. But thanks for the thought. To the third son, she said, son, I want to tell you, that's the best chicken I've ever eaten. <laughs> was it funny? Was that, was that kind of a, kind of a, kind of a, it's the best chicken I, I ever ate. Um, it is a joy this morning to have newlyweds. How many, how many people don't get married on a Saturday and come to church on a Sunday? Tabitha and Scott, what a joy to have you this morning in the, in the house of God. Uh, the Apostle Paul, who wrote almost half of the New Testament, the Apostle Paul was left for dead three times, stoned and left for dead. The Apostle Paul experienced the 39 stripes that Jesus survived five times. The Apostle Paul was taken, and they t turned his feet, and they took a rod, and they beat the living daylights out of his feet. He got shipwrecked, spent an entire night and a day drifting in the ocean. The Apostle Paul's life was earmarked with all kinds of times that the enemy tried to kill him. Uh, the Apostle Paul, before he was Paul, his name was Saul, and he thought he was doing the right thing by killing Christians. He had an open warrant, and he had permission from the government of Italy, Rome, to go into any home that claimed to be a Christian to pull the people out and to have them assassinated. Some were arrested and sent to Nero's garden where they became human torches so that he could see his garden at night. Some of the youth were fed to lions. Others were made gladiators. The Apostle Paul, thinking that he was doing the right thing, was a very bad man and did some very, very bad things. As he was on the road to Damascus to persecute the church there, Paul had an encounter with God. There was a light so bright that it blinded him. He fell off his horse or his donkey, whatever he was riding, and a voice spoke to him, and it was the Lord, and the Lord asked Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why are you doing what you're doing? Had a personal encounter with Jesus Christ. It completely flipped his life around. His name was changed from Saul to Paul and began to preach the gospel throughout the world. Uh, you know the story. Paul went to Jerusalem, and there he was beheaded for his testimony. And so as we look at this, this very salty, very colorful, very gifted character, we look at we look at the Apostle Paul's life, and three times the Apostle Paul chose to share his testimony, to tell the church what he had done and how God had helped him and how God had blessed him. And the Apostle Paul brings to our attention this passage of Scripture in Philippians, the third chapter, in the 13th verse, and he says, Brethren, greeting the church, I count not myself to have apprehended. The word apprehended there means arrive. What he's saying, Chris, he's saying is that God is not done with me yet. I've done some great things. I'm going to continue to do some great things, but God is not done with me yet. He said, however, there's something that I need to do to become what God wants me to be and to do what God wants me to do. 
I've come to a place in my life where I have to forget the negatives and the positives of yesterday. I've come to a place in my life where I cannot allow my, my diary to mandate or to dictate my future. There's some things that have happened in my life that I'm not happy about. There's some things that happened in my life that I'm not, don't really like to talk about and don't like to share. But I've come to a place in my life that if I don't do something about the memories of yesterday, it's going to disqualify me. It's going to cancel out the favor of the Lord, and it's going to mess me up. He didn't say that he needed to go to a Billy Graham crusade. He didn't say that he needed to, he needed to read a Benny Hinn book. He didn't need to say that the elders need to pray for him. He said, this is something that I, me, Paul, this is something I've got to do. I've got to come to a place in my life where I do not allow the negatives of yesterday to affect today. And again, by all standards, he was a murderer. He hurt the church. He wounded the church. He was, a, he was the enemy of the church. And then God turns his life around. He begins to travel and, and sees hundreds, maybe thousands. And here we are 2,000 years later quoting his, his works, telling his story, sharing what God had done for him. The Bible says in Revelation 12 and 11 that we, the church, overcome the enemy. How many of those enemy? That we overcome the enemy by the word of our testimony and by the blood of the Lamb. The enemy hates your testimony. The enemy hates your victories. The enemy hates your successes. Every time you share, and uh, I've shared this with the body, I hesitate many times sharing my testimony not because it can't help somebody because sometimes it's embarrassing to remember the person that I was. I don't like that person 37 years ago. I don't, I don't like those things that I was involved in. I don't like those things that I did. Uh, 37 years ago, Thanksgiving evening, I was headed to a party. I had an ounce of marijuana. I had a case of Michelob. And I had uh, three young ladies and my friend, and we were headed to Huntington Beach to party all night. And on the way to the party, we had a burnout taillight, and we got pulled over by the Huntington Beach police two blocks from the party, two blocks from our destination. And when they got us out of the car for a burnout taillight, unfortunately, everyone in the vehicle was underage. And we had, a, we had a case of, of alcohol that was not open, but it was in the back seat. We should have stuck it in the trunk. I don't know what I was thinking, but I didn't stick it in the trunk. And then we got out of the car, and then uh, they began to search the car. And uh, we all went to jail. All five of us went to jail and spent Thanksgiving evening in jail. I actually had enough money in my wallet to bail us out, but the police department didn't have change. For a $100 bill, so we spent the night. They, they bought me breakfast. I took the plastic fork and broke it on the sausage I tried to cut. I know some of you can relate to what I'm saying. I turned the plate completely upside down, and nothing fell off the plate. The food stuck to the plate. And I remember that was co that cold steel. There was no blankets. There was no pillows. And there was a, uh, a Marine that had been arrested for, DU, for, for something, and he was in the in the tank, and he was crashed into walls, and it was it was a very it was a very unpleasant. It was not, it was not a night 
that I enjoy. And I think about, you know, 37 years later where God has brought me from to where I am today. Sometimes we look back and we chuckle at some of the things that we encountered. But for the most part, it's embarrassing and sometimes even discouraging when you think about the, the lives you mess with and the people you mess with and the things that you did. And when we got back to the car, uh, I had taken the ashtray out of the, out of the car. I think it was a 60 two Chevy hot rod, but we taken the ashtray out of the car, and I put that ounce of marijuana, put the ashtray back in, and when they searched the car, they got on their back and shined up in the underneath the, underneath the dash, and when we got to the car, the, the, the baggie was visible where you could actually see the, and God just spared us because you got to remember 37 years ago, marijuana was a felony, and it was a big deal. And uh, there was a lot of uh, there was a lot of time served if you had over an ounce of marijuana. And I look back and reflect how many times in my life that I did the wrong thing, but God was guiding my steps and God was God was blessing me, and God was uh, had His hand upon me. There was another occasion where I played in a band, and we played at a party that night. On the way back from the party, I stopped at Burger King because I had the munchies, and I pulled in the parking lot. I was eating my food. The police car pulled up, and uh, they asked me what I was doing, and I said I was taking a break. They asked me to get out of the car, and uh, they searched the car, and in between the driver's seat and the passenger seat, there on that little console, the uh, police officer began to find some stems and some seeds, and he said, if I find enough here to, to make a joint, you're going to jail. And what he didn't know, that in the visor, there was a hard pack of Marlboro that had three uh, Colombian Maui Waui joints in there and they tore the car apart and I told the Lord I said Lord if you let them not see that I promise you I'll be a missionary to Tibet I'll go to Mount I'll go to Nepal I'll go I'll I'll do anything you want me to do they never they never pulled the visor down they never they uh they never saw it and I just when I when I think back at some of the, of the times that I probably should have gone to prison should have gone to jail did not I'm thankful for those times, and that love is still enduring today. That protection, that provision is still upon us today, that God has his hand upon our lives. And sometimes I think we're going to marvel when we get to, get to heaven and see the times that God intervened that we didn't even know it. We didn't even know that God, Misha, I know you can relate to God intervening in, intervening in your life, and it was like you should be dead. And many of us in this room can relate and say, I should be dead. I should be in prison. I should be serving time. I should be doing this. I should be doing that. Friday, driving down Paul F. Parkway, headed towards um, Walmart. There was a there there at Lowe's. It was a car trying to pull out, and I let the car in. I let the car Gerald get in front of me, and we got up to the light. And there was a car that kind of didn't really cut me off. It got in between me and the car. I let in, and we stopped the light there to turn right on Key Street, and the light turned green, but the car in front didn't go. The car that I had let in and the car that had kind of cut in whacked that car and uh, did several hundred dollars worth of damage. And I, I called Pastor Rhonda and told her, I said, just I was one car away from, from, a, from a fender bender. But how many times have we been one car, one moment, one inch away from death and God miraculously spared our life and, and gave us the ability to live another day? Can anybody thank God for his awesomeness, his blessing, and his favor now go ahead and give the Lord a hand clap of appreciation. Paul doesn't Paul uh, doesn't stop there and say this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, 
He said, I reach towards those things which are before. And then he makes a statement, I press towards the mark of the prize of the high calling through Jesus Christ. And so I'm here to tell you today that he didn't bring you this far to leave you, didn't bring you this far to abandon you. He didn't allow you to survive all the stuff that you've gone through to forget about you. But he has done these things so that you would know that there's something better he has for you. But I have learned it's up to you to pursue God's best, God's favor, and God's blessing. And Paul said, I press towards the mark, the prize of the high calling of God through Christ Jesus. And I'm here to tell you this morning that when God finds you where you are, he doesn't leave you in that state, but he gives you all kinds of opportunities and all kinds of ways to turn your life around so that you can be a better person. And as you reflect back on, and again, the Apostle Paul said, it's important sometimes that you forget those mistakes and tragedies of yesterday because if you're not careful, your mind will constantly revisit those places. And if you're not careful, you will live in a moment of guilt, in a, in a season of condemnation, and you condemn yourself to such a degree that you can't help anybody. And when you, as I just reflect in this room and I see all of the, all the miracles that are in this room, I look at Pastor Todd, I look at, I look at Miss, I see the, the, the miracle how God brought them together, how both of them could say it would be easy to stay hung up where we were 10 years ago, but we decided to get off that boat, get on the dock, and get on another ship headed to a better destination. Look at somebody who say, a better destination. So where you're at right now, regardless of what you've accomplished or what you've achieved or wherever you are in life, wherever you're at right now, God does not want to leave you there. God wants you to take you to a, a better place, a more awesome place that you can be a better person. Look at somebody and say, I desire to become a better person. And as the Apostle Paul reflects on when I deal with the past, I look towards the future, then I know that I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. I, uh, I've shared this story, and I apologize to Mish and Chris and, and Susan, and those that have heard this story before. But uh, I was awarded as, at a very young age, I was awarded the curse of being left-handed. And uh, they have written a book, uh, a left-handed person wrote the book, sharing all the challenges that we go through being left-handed. And most of you, you, you wouldn't even reflect or even, even, even be aware because you're right-handed. And this world is set up for a right-handed person. A skill saw is set up for a right-handed person. A pneumatic nailer is set up for a right-handed person. The doors that you open, your, your boxers is set up for a right-handed person. I don't want to get too personal here, but it's funny sometimes when you think this is a right. I, I lost you on the boxers. I see that. This is a right-handed world, and things are set up right-handed. Your, your, your book is set up a right, as, as a right-handed, but being left-handed in the late 60s, early 70s, you got to understand that Bic had not produced the non-smear the non ink. There weren't ink pens that you could write that dried instantly. And unfortunately, in school, when I went to do penmanship, when I would write whatever I was writing, my hand would smear the ink, and I would always get an F. I don't know how many of you can relate 
relate to that, but it was, it was my homework looked terrible. My essays looked terrible. Um, I had some friends that would crank their, their wrists all the way around like this, and they would write like that. And I tried that later, and it hurt my, it hurt my wrists, and I couldn't do it. But in seventh grade, I went from, from uh, elementary school to high school in California, seventh through ninth was junior high, and then sophomore through senior was senior high. And in junior high, I learned that there were electives. There were classes that you could take if you so desired. Well, for some reason, I took a typing class. I never typed before. The only thing about the typewriter, I took a typing class. And the teacher, her name was Miss Ball, B-A-U-G-H. And she was drop-dead gorgeous, and I had a crush on her. And I had, and she was, she was, she was a beautiful, and uh, and and so I just, I just thought, well, I'm going to take typing in seventh grade, and eighth grade, and ninth grade, and in my sophomore year, I could type 140 words per minute without any mistakes. I was a very good typist, and uh, so my parents, when I went into my sophomore year, my parents went to Kmart. We didn't have a Walmart. We had a Kmart. And they purchased me a Smith Corona typewriter, $29.95. There were two things you could do for $29.95. You could buy a Smith Corona typewriter or Earl Scheib would paint any car, any color, $29.95. And so I, <coughs> I got that typewriter out and hot rod, I began to type and I began to, I began to do my homework Unfortunately, that was before the day of any kind of correcto ribbon or any way to fix your mistake. So if you're typing and you made a mistake, you pull the paper out, you water it up, put it in the trash can, and you start it all over again. But in my sophomore year, there was an invasion from England to America. All kinds of things started showing up at our airports and our, and our, and our ports. And, I mean, there were the Beatles. There were the Hermes Hermits. There were the Doors. There was the Paul Revere. There was the Dave Clark Five. All these, all these groups started coming from England to America and introducing to us what was called rock and roll. And there was one band that came from England called the Monkees. How many remember the Monkees? Hey, hey, we're the monkeys. People say we monkey around. We're too busy singing to run anybody down. Hey, you know the song. Then, then their, I think their big song was, then I saw her face. Now, I'm, Well, anyway, when the monkeys came to America, the mother of one of the monkeys came to America, Mike <coughs> Nesbitt, the guy that wore the, the cap, his mom came to America, and she created a product called liquid paper. She invented it. She patented it. Later became a, a millionaire over it. And I always told people, if I ever met her, I would kiss her right on the mouth. Because all of a sudden, my typing changed. All of a sudden, right there in the middle of all my typing, if I made a mistake, I didn't have to pull it up and throw it away. I got that little bottle of liquid paper, and I, well, I would cover up that mistake, and then I would dry it, and then put the typewriter back and type right over the mistake I made. And nobody ever, ever knew that I made a mistake. How cool is that? Well, when you look at the concept of liquid paper and you look at the words of John the Baptist when he saw his cousin, he made this statement, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. 
Sin was popular in that generation. Sin was prevalent in that generation. And if you were a Jew and you supported the, the, the Jewish tradition, there was opportunity for you to be redeemed and to be forgiven for your sin, depending on what kind of money that you had. If you weren't so wealthy like me, you could purchase a turtle dove or a pigeon. But if you were wealthy like Hot Rod, you purchased a lamb or a goat. And you would take that lamb or that goat to the high priest. And the high priest never looked at you, didn't care who you were, didn't care if you were there yesterday or the day before. It wasn't about you. It was about the lamb. The high priest would examine the lamb. And if the lamb was without fault, a fault is something you develop, or without blemish, a blemish is something you're born with. If that lamb was without fault or without blemish, that high priest would carry that lamb over to the altar, take a sharp instrument, and cut the throat of that lamb. And when the blood of that lamb hit that altar, regardless of what your sin was, you were forgiven, and there was no penalty to pay. That was the system of the Old Testament. But when, Apostle, when John saw his cousin Jesus and said, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sins of the world, Jesus Christ was the Lamb without spot, the Lamb without blemish. He was presented to Pilate. Pilate could find no fault in him. And the day that his blood was shed, seven times his blood was shed, the day that his blood was shed, all the mistakes, all the failures, all the sins of my sins, your sins, your parents' sins, your grandchildren's sins, Every single sin was purchased by the blood of Jesus. And today, this morning, whether I go to God for the first mistake or Leah for the hundredth mistake, whether it's something I've done over and over and over again or I just did one time, God does not look at me. God does not examine me. God does not hold me accountable. But what God says, on what authority do you come into my presence? On what, on what premise do you come in, in, in to encounter with me? And you know what we say? We say, God, behold the lamb. God examined the lamb, Christ Jesus. And if the lamb is <coughs> worthy, everybody take a water break. Leah. Is that Sprite? It tastes like Sprite. One time they gave me Dr. Pepper. I won't tell you what happened to that. But when we go to God today, he doesn't care whether we're tither. He didn't care whether we're Catholic. He didn't care whether your grandmother prays. He's going to say, why do you come in my, how do you come in my presence? And we say, I enter by the blood of the lamb. And because a sacrifice has been made, the blood has been shared. That means that almost like that liquid paper, he takes that blood, covers up that mistake, breathes on it, and gives us another opportunity to do the right thing. Look at somebody and say the right thing. And how many times does God do that? Not seven, not 70, but seven times 70 every day. The promises of God are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. So when Paul said, this one thing I do, forgetting the things of yesterday and reaching for the things which are today, I press towards that mark. Why? Because God has given me permission to come into his presence, to walk in his anointing, to walk in his favor, but most importantly, to forgive me for the mistakes and sins I made yesterday. Is that crazy? Is that crazy? 
I conclude with this visual. The enemy is the accuser of the brethren. He doesn't accuse sinners because they're sinning. They're doing what sinners do. But he's accuser of the brethren, constantly going before God, constantly reminding God of our failures, constantly reminding God of our mistakes, our past. And as God sets as the eternal judge over all the affairs of life, eternal, mortal, or internal, as God is that judge that makes the final decision, and as the enemy is that prosecutor that's constantly going before the judge and trying to throw us under the bus and trying to destroy us and hurt us and harm us because their accusations are made in this court. We do not have an attorney. We cannot afford an attorney. Johnny Cochran can't help. E.F. Bailey cannot help. There's not an attorney that is good enough to defend us towards the devil. So God appoints an attorney for us, and his name is Jesus Christ. Rhonda said it so well. We have a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was at all points tempted as we are yet without sin. When the enemy brings this evidence against us, and there's evidence, there's all kinds of evidence the enemy can dig up against you, I promise. And when he takes this evidence towards the throne, towards the judgment seat, and tries to present it to God to throw us under the bus, my attorney, Jesus Christ, looks at God and says, Your Honor, may I examine the evidence? And, and God turns the evidence that was against us to Jesus. The devil hates us as our prosecutor, but Jesus as our lawyer just takes the evidence and he holds it to his bosom. He wraps his arms around it and he gives it back to God. God looks at what Jesus gave him and God looks at the devil and says, I don't know what you're trying to pull. I don't know what you're trying to manipulate, but what you have presented against this person, it's covered by blood. And because it's covered by blood, I have no condemnation. I have no, I have no, no, no verdict but to proclaim innocent because of the blood of Jesus Christ. How does that apply, how does that apply till now? How does it apply now? It applies that there are people in this world in this city, in this community, that desperately need to know what you know. They desperately need to walk in what you're walking in. And I don't believe that God just redeemed us and put us in the four walls of this building so we could contain all that he has for us among ourselves. I believe that God is calling each one of us to be able to share the truths of what he has done for us so that we may bless help get somebody on the right track to go to the next place they need to be with God. Aren't you glad this morning you've been to the river, you've been baptized, you've been washed in the blood of the land. All your sins that are scarlet are now, are now white as snow. Though they be as crimson, they shall be as wool. And like Evie sang the song, clean before my Lord do I stand. Not one blemish in me does he see. He could if he wanted to, but he chooses not to because his son paid the final sacrifice, shed the blood, so I could walk in health and wholeness and healing. Can we give the Lord a hand clap appreciation for that? I believe the guys are going to help me just for a moment. As every head is bowed, as every eye is closed, as no one is looking around, and this moment is between you and the Lord. If you haven't been around me, you will learn that I don't embarrass anybody. I don't go back to anybody and call them out. I think what happens in the altar is between you and God, and that's, that's good enough for me. 
But if you're here this morning and you're not where you want to be with the Lord, if you're here this morning and maybe you've wandered away from the Lord or you're here this morning and you don't have that relationship that you would like to have, like the Apostle Paul said, that I can stop letting the events of yesterday beat me up, drag me down, drag me through the mud, hurt me and harm me. I need to come to a place of healing and restoration. I need to come to a place where I make room for Jesus in my life and I give him my heart and I confess to him my sins and my mistakes and my shortcomings and I ask him to be the Lord of my life and I ask him to turn my life around and I ask him to let the rest of the day be a brand new day and brand new promises tomorrow, the day after tomorrow, that I can walk in the favor and the fullness of what God has for me. If that's where you're at today, if you're not where you want to be or need to be with the Lord, and this is between you and the Lord, I promise, would you just put your hand up and just let the Lord see it? Just you and the Lord. Lord, this is this is me saying, say, I'm coming home today. I'm, I'm coming home. I've wandered away from you. I'm coming home. Thank you for the four or five hands that have responded. We're going to pray this morning. I'm going to ask the congregation just in silence if they would just agree with me in this prayer father i acknowledge today that i'm a sinner i acknowledge today that i was born into sin that this is a generation that is born into sin and i realize this morning no matter how good i try to be or the good things i try to do there's still a mark against me and it's the mark of sin so today i ask you to come into my heart i make a place there for you to live i ask you to come into my heart I ask you to forgive me of my sins, and I ask you to become the Lord of my life, not just the Savior of my soul to, to keep me from going to hell, but the Lord of my life that every day I live from this day forward is a day full of your direction, your wisdom, your compassion, your favor, and your joy. I need that joy that you promise I can have. I need that peace that you promise that I can have. I will look no farther. I will look in no other direction for today. I've come to the cross, and I've knelt at the altar, and I've asked the blood to wash away the blemishes, to wash away the mistakes, to wash away the faults, and allow me to be clean and pure, not because of anything that I have done, but because you have chosen me to be your son. You've chosen me to be your daughter. You love me. You care about me. And this morning, the gift of your son has purchased my salvation. For God, you so loved the world and me and my family that you gave your only begotten son that I could have life and have abundant life, not just here, not just tomorrow, but in that life which is to come. In the name of Jesus, we agree. And they all said, amen. The Bible says there's joy in the presence of God when one sinner comes home. No, this morning, if you could see heaven and you could see the throne and you could see the angels, the angels are celebrating, the angels are cheering, the angels are encouraging you on. The Bible says we're compassed about with such a great cloud of witnesses that are encouraging us, that are praying for us. And no, today is, a, is the first day of the rest of your life. It's important. Go ahead and give the Lord a hand clap. It's important that you get a Bible. And it's important that you get a Bible that you understand. There are so many great translations of the Bible. Don't be hung up by older translations, but there are great that there are translations that speak in today's lingo 
and, and linguistics, and you need that. Get a Bible. Uh, find yourself some people that know how to pray. Ask them to be in agreement, things you're praying for. Get plugged in the services, our Wednesday night, our Sunday morning, the events that we do during the week. And uh, I just want to congratulate you into the best life you'll ever live, the best season of your life. I want to say thank you to uh, dozens of uh, blankets. Uh, I went yesterday to the Goodwill, and I didn't know the Goodwill had so many, co so much cool stuff. I've, that's only the second time I've ever been in there, and I intend to go back. But yesterday I was on a mission, and they had a, a comforter, blanket, sleeping bag combo. I mean, I could sleep like three or four people in this big comforter. So I went and got, I went and got the comforter, and uh, I told the, uh, the girl asked me about the comforter, and I said, our church is sending blankets to uh, Hamilton to uh, help some indigents there. And she said, if you'll come back Monday, I'll talk to the manager, and I'll see if we can't get you some blankets and some coats. How cool is that? The, um, I was going to tell you, the uh, uh, last year we gave away 70 coats to people that did not have coats. And so the coats we thought we had to give away this year, we do not have. So if you will go through your closet this week, and if a sweater, uh, some, maybe, a, maybe a long johns, um, a scarf, gloves, uh, anything to keep the ears warm, the, the scarf, the gloves. If you'll go to the hassle of getting it here, I'll go to the hassle of getting it where it needs to go, if you'll, if you'll help me with that. And thank you so much. The, the response was overwhelming. There's dozens of, of blankets and throw, throw, throw blankets, and uh, I don't know if we need pillows or anything, but uh, this is our opportunity uh, to directly obey the word of the Lord. Here's what he said. I was hungry, fed me. I was naked, you clothed me. You cannot give somebody a blanket that doesn't have a blanket. You cannot do that and not touch the heart of God. Thank you for your tithe. We want to give you a chance to give an offering to the Lord. The word says there is tithe and there is offering. The tithe is a percentage of our income that we give to make uh, things happen in our church. The offering is something we do. It's like a tip. You got a good meal, good waitress. You paid your bill, but you enjoyed the service. You give a little extra. That's all an offering is. And with that offering, we do things here in the church body. If you enjoy the fudge, the ice cream, the snacks on Wednesday night, our offerings go to that. We, uh, there's uh, no charge for the dinner coming up, Pastor Rhonda, December 12th, December 11th. Remember that day. This sanctuary will be turned into a banquet hall. There will be killer food. There will be some of the funniest dramas, some of the funniest humor, some great singing, some great talent. This is a... Um, a cringe-free environment. If you don't know what a cringe-free environment is, there are friends that you might have in your life that might not be comfortable with our kind of worship or our kind of preaching, but in a banquet, in that kind of setting, everyone feels comfortable, everybody feels welcome. This is a very good opportunity for you to bring someone in your family that you've been wanting to introduce to the church. You just don't really know how. This is a great opportunity to do that, and we're going to have plenty of food. We'll let you know how you can be a part of that, and you could be blessed. I want to say a special thank you to the four or five that gave their heart, they recommitted their heart to the Lord this morning. We give God the glory for that. Can we give the Lord a hand clap of appreciation? The blood will never lose its power. And uh, remember, the blood of Jesus blots out your mistakes and failures and shortcomings, 
And this morning you leave here brand new, brand new in the sight of God, holy and pursuing his best. May the Lord bless you and keep you, cause his face to shine upon you, allow you to be a light, a dark place. May he bless everything you touch. May today be great. May tomorrow be even better. And may the words of your mouth, the meditation of your heart be acceptable in his sight. Did you enjoy the praise and worship today? Did, they, did the guys, did they not pull it off? When our kids aren't here, we miss them. Christine got baptized in the Jordan River last week. I believe they're in Bethlehem. They're in Jerusalem, headed to Bethlehem. They've never been to Bethlehem. Thank you, Pastor Ron. But they're in Jerusalem, and I'm sure Pastor Ron will agree they're having a good time, whatever they're doing. It's awesome. They're having a wonderful time. They'll be back. Hug a neck, shake a hand, bless somebody. We love you with the Lord. We'll see you Wednesday night, 7 o'clock.